Okay. You're all being recorded, so act appropriately. All right, so we're uh, doing the Gospel of Mark, and um, you notice the passage is pretty, pretty short today, and um, that's on purpose because as I was going through this, um, this is a really, really hard teaching. So are you guys ready for a hard teaching? Because, man, when I read a passage like this, this is one of the, the reasons that I actually do expository preaching because I, I can't skip over it. It's right there. And if I skipped over it, you would all come to me and say, hey, why would you skip over that passage? And I have to be honest and say, I don't like that passage. That's why. But this is a really, really hard teaching. And uh, hopefully in the context of what we've been talking about in Mark, you see the progression that Jesus has just talked about what it means to be a little child, to be totally dependent upon him. Next scene you get is the rich young ruler who is dependent on himself and is not willing to become like a little child. And disciples, you'd think their response would be right in line because they've been with Jesus. But like usual and true, true to form, they half get it and they understand in part. And we're going to pick up at the end of that narrative from last week with a rich young ruler. He walks away sad and then Peter decides to say something. Before we get into that, let's go to the Lord in prayer one more time as we ask his blessing. Fathers, we go to your word right now. We just pray that you would... Speak to us, God, uh, that your spirit would apply to our hearts, our lives, what, what you want. Father, we're all at different places in our faith. We're all, uh, we all are in need of different things. And so um, I pray that the, the words spoken today would be empowered by your spirit and transformative in our lives today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the disciples see this exchange with uh, the rich young ruler, and, and Peter, again, partially gets it. Uh, he kind of understands the, the cost of following Jesus, and he kind of blurts out that he's left everything, that the, the disciples have left everything to follow him. But the question I have is this. In their hearts, in those disciples' hearts, did they really put Jesus first? Did they really put him first? Or have they just traded outward Jewish righteousness for Christian outward righteousness? Right? It happens a lot. I think in, in the church, at least in my experience of it, many times we fall into that, that we will point to other faiths and go, look how works-oriented they are, right? They have to feel like they have to do everything, and, and they have to be so shiny and clean on the outside, and they're really not working on their souls. They need Jesus. And then we go to ourselves, and we go, I really don't like being transformed on the inside because it's going to require something of me. So I'll just polish myself up so I look like a good Christian. And everybody goes, what a good Christian that person is. And we've just traded just, just one outward righteousness for another outward righteousness. And I think this was going on in the passage that Peter kind of partially gets it. He, he has left everything partially to follow Jesus, but not completely. So what Jesus does in this passage, number one, he changes our perspective on what is most precious in our lives. So as we look at our lives, I think one of the questions we have to ask is, what really, in reality, if we're honest, what is the most precious thing that we hang on to? Verse 28, then Peter spoke up, we have left everything to follow you. We've done what you asked that rich young ruler to do. We've done that, Jesus. Don't you notice it? And Jesus replies, truly I tell you, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel, will fail to receive a hundred times as much in the present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. So Peter was pointing out, 
what the disciples had actually done. They had left everything. Well, we know that they really didn't leave everything. Because when they're in Galilee, where does Peter go with Jesus? He goes home. His home is in Capernaum. He goes to his, his family home. So he really didn't leave his home completely. He didn't abandon his family for the gospel. And when Jesus is, is crucified, and, and after the resurrection, where does he go back? He goes back to his boat. So he didn't sell his boats. He didn't really give up everything. He kind of just put them on the back burner for a while in case this Jesus thing didn't work out. I wonder a lot in my life, I've been a Christian a long time, if some things are still on the back burner, right? If I haven't given up everything, I just put it off to the side in case 30, 40 years down the road, the Jesus thing just doesn't pan out. You know, something bad happens and I can always go back to my boats or to my home. And so though Jesus is, I mean, excuse me, Peter is blurting out that he's left everything. He has. He has left in a sense. He's abandoned his, his, probably his prestige, his place in the community to follow Jesus, but he's still hanging on to some things. And so, on the back burner. And so, what's really interesting here, Jesus doesn't argue or challenge Peter. He could have. He could have said, no, 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 you haven't, Peter. You still have an attitude. You still haven't left everything. He doesn't. Instead, he affirms, actually affirms Peter's partial movement of faith. Um, he affirms that whatever you lose, Peter, whatever you have given up, You'll be rewarded for that. You're going to be blessed in this present age, in this age, and in the age to come. We're going to get to what that actually means in a second. So Jesus is saying, if, if you give up stuff for me and for the gospel, if you give up whatever it might be, not only stuff and things, but prestige, power, whatever it is, for the gospel, then in some way, a hundredfold, in this time and in the age to come, you're going to be rewarded. And then Jesus goes on at this point, which is really interesting, he notes the things that we may have to give up. They're precious things. Nothing on this list we can say, uh, that's, that's not too bad. Homes, this is, and again, a home, in our culture, we, we, you know, if, if I lose my home, I just go rent a place, right? In the ancient world, if you lose your home, you've lost everything. You just can't go get another home. Matter of fact, your home is where your family probably has been for generations in many cases. Your grandmother, your grandmother's grandmother, everybody lives there. And so this is a very precious thing. You've given up your home or your brothers or your sisters, mother, fathers, children, lands. Lands are your means of eating, right? How you actually survive. If you give up that which you survive on, our jobs, for example. See, it costs to follow Jesus. Yet Jesus says the blessings far outweigh the losses, and this is why this is a hard teaching. Because what kind of blessing will replace the roof over your head, your family, the people that are closest to you, your children, your mother, your father, your means of survival? What kind of blessing could be greater than the basic things we need for life? In God's kingdom, the benefits and blessings are defined as greater than any earthly loss. This is a matter of faith, because I can't really wrap my heads around it. What could be, in this life, in this life, not, even, not, not talking about eternal life, because Jesus said in this life and in the age to come, what, what could replace my means of living, my family, my friends, those who are most precious to me? Jesus is changing their perspective on what is most precious to them. And the implication is it's not our homes. 
It's not the food on our table. It's not even our closest family. There's something more precious than that. And then, then he lists one very surprising blessing um, along with persecutions. Isn't that exciting? You get, to leave, you get to give up everything. And also, once you give up everything, just as a, the cherry on top, you get to have persecutions too. Amen. Amen. Isn't that exciting? What is Jesus thinking? He's changing their perspective on what is truly important from the kingdom's point of view. See, what we think is really important is not important at all. It doesn't really matter for the long game. If you follow Jesus, you will lose things. You will gain things, and you will get persecution if you are following Jesus. To be a member of Christ's kingdom means to share in all that is his, all that is Jesus's. We are co-heirs with Christ. Everything Jesus owns as a follower of Christ, you own it too. And you own his sufferings as well. Right? You get, you get out the whole package. Not just a half a deal, the whole thing. You see, this includes suffering on his behalf. Paul calls it, and we've looked at this verse before, a momentary and light trouble when seen against this promise of eternal life. This is from 2 Corinthians 4, 17. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweigh them all. What was light and momentary trouble for Paul? It was being dragged out of a city and stoned to death. Right? That's light and momentary. Right? Crazy talk, right? No. Truth. It makes perfect sense from the kingdom point of view. From our point of view, if you got stoned and, and beat up in a, in a, at a friend's house for preaching the gospel, would you go back there again? I would seriously think about not ever going back there. I would seriously think when I saw him on the street to go on the other side of the street. What does Paul do? He goes back into the city again. Or he goes into another city. Because in, from his perspective... They're light and momentary troubles that, that doesn't compare to what is going to come in eternal glory. But Jesus in this passage talks about eternal glory, but he also says in this life too. Again, we're going to get to that. So I want you also to notice that Jesus doesn't specify what those blessings are exactly. He doesn't say hundredfold, you'll get mothers, brothers, and let me explain to you what that looks like. He doesn't, he just kind of makes a comparison. You'll get more than what you give up. Whatever you give up in kind. So if he says if you give a, pup, a pup, puppy, you'll get a hundredfold puppies, right? That's what he's saying. Whatever you give up, you're going to get a hundredfold of that thing. Um, again, the point here is we need to understand by faith that the rewards far outweigh any loss that we will ever give up. So I state it practically. Jesus taught that the result of giving money to the poor or any sacrifice we might make for the kingdom of God will ultimately be treasure, not on earth, but in heaven. That's part of it. The more we give, the more we gain in the kingdom. All right? And again, this is kind of a little selfish, isn't it? When you think about it, the more I sacrifice to Jesus, the more I get. It, it, it could be selfish, but what Jesus is not trying to teach us is to be selfish. What he's trying to teach us is a principle of how things work. What you reap and what you sow, you will reap, right? The way you live your life for the gospel, for the glory of God, will reap certain benefits, right? So that's, that's the principle he's talking about. He's not saying be selfish, you know, do a lot so you get a lot so you can rule over people in a selfish way. That's not what he's saying. He's saying understand there are certain rules in the universe how things work. 
If you sow blessing, then you'll get blessing. If you sow curses, you'll get curse. If you sow generosity, you'll be, right? If, If you do well with the talents I give you, then more talents you'll be given, right? It's a principle of life, and we understand that on earth, right, as well. So he's not saying be selfish. He's saying understand the principle of how things work. Um, it doesn't mean that if we give money to God's work, we get more money back. That's not what he's teaching, all right? Please don't understand that. A lot of prosperity sort of uh, cults kind of teach that, that if um, that the spiritual rewards really are more like money. So if I donate uh, my house, then Jesus will get me two houses, right? Whatever. That's not, that's not what he's saying at all. He's talking about a principle of what we plant and what we, we work on is what we'll reap here. Because then he goes on to say, it's not, you're gonna get, you might get paid back, but you're also going to get persecution as well. So John Piper, this is kind of a long quote, but I think this quote really kind of sums up the, the gist of it. Um, this context of this quote is about, he's talking about missionaries that go overseas to a different culture. But uh, I, we're all called to be a missionary to understand our culture and find the ways to break through various walls, various things that keep the gospel out. So I think it's appropriate to understand it for our situation as well. Let me just read this text on the screen as well in your outline. A great quote about what does this passage mean? He says this, This text does not mean that you get materially rich by becoming a missionary, at least not in the sense that your own private possessions increase. It means mainly that if you are deprived of your earthly family in the service of Christ, it will be made up a hundredfold in your spiritual family, the church. But even if this may be too limiting, what about the lonely missionaries who labor for years without being surrounded by hundreds of sisters or brothers or mothers or children of the faith? They're all alone. Is the promise not true for them? Surely it is. Surely what Christ means is that he himself makes up for every loss. If you give up a mother's nearby affection and concern, you get back 100 times the affection and concern from the ever-present Christ. If you give up the warm comradeship of a brother, you get back 100 times the warmth and camaraderie of Christ. If you give up the sense of at-homeness you had in your house, you get back 100 times the comfort and security of knowing that your Lord owns every house and land and stream and tree on earth. Isn't this what Jesus is saying to prospective missionaries? Just this. I promise to work for you and be for you so much that you will not be able to speak of having sacrificed anything. That's the way Hudson Taylor took it, because at the end of 50 years of missionary labor in China, he said, I never made a sacrifice. That's what Jesus is talking about. See, we think it's a sacrifice, but when we actually sacrifice things, it doesn't seem like a sacrifice at all for what we get is Christ. And I think the reason why we don't sacrifice is because we don't get in the habit of it. And we don't... See, it, it, it's like... Let me go back to my favorite thing, chocolate milk. Right? I was just at... We were at Wegmans. Have you been to Wegmans? It's like a plethora of chocolate milk options there. And they had this chocolate milk, right, that's not 2%. It's like made out of, I think they like squished 30 cows and they put them all in that bottle. And it was the best, and I'm a chocolate milk connoisseur. It was the best chocolate milk I ever had, ever in my life. 
you know what it wants me you know what i want to do i want to drive all the way up as a matter of fact when i drop george off today on the way back i'm stopping by wegman's just remind myself to get that chocolate milk because once you're addicted to something that is good you want to keep doing it and once you sacrifice something for jesus that you think is really precious and you give it up and you discover there's something more more than you've ever experienced before you want more of that and you begin to sacrifice. That's Marissa, right? You went on a missions trip once, and you sacrificed to do it, scared out of your brains, didn't know what's going to happen there, and what do you end up doing? Going back again. Why would you do that? Why would anybody do that? Right? It's addictive. Jesus wants us to be addicted to him. He wants us to love him with everything. He wants himself and the gospel, our mission, to be more precious than anything else. See, Jesus changes our perspective on what is of utmost importance. It's not our stuff. It's not the roof over our head. It's not even our families. The gospel is of utmost importance, and a disciple is willing to give up everything for the sake of the gospel, knowing that the Lord promises to provide for all of our needs. This is the call to follow Jesus, right? Jesus, when he says, come follow me, he's asking us to do the same things that he did, right? Not going to die for people's sins, but we're going to die for the sake of others, the life of others. See, Jesus gave up the blessings of heaven, fellowship, full fellowship with the Father for the cross. He gave up everything for the cross so that through the cross... He might save many. And the scripture says in Philippians, he's exalted to the highest place, name above all names. That's our call as well, to give up everything for the sake of the gospel, that through our lives, people might meet Jesus. And that one day too, God would fulfill his promises to us and glorify us. Jesus changes how we view the world. He wants to take our perspectives and say, what's most precious to you isn't really in the long term. It's really the gospel. This is the hard teaching. Do we really? I mean, I don't even know if I believe that. To be honest with you, is the gospel more important than anything else? Anything else? Number two, Jesus changes our perspective on status. As well. Verse 31 But many who are first will be last, and the last first. That saying, many who are first will be last, last first, is repeated uh, in, the, in the Gospels a number of times. I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm almost certain that Jesus probably repeated that over and over and over and over again to his disciples to try to get them to understand that to be, have the greatest status in the kingdom is to be the very least. Christ's kingdom, in his kingdom, is a grand reversal of every earthly standard of position, rank, and importance. Be last, come in first. Everything was reversed in the kingdom. Everything you think is right about rank and status is actually wrong. Right? It's all wrong. Jesus turns it opposite on its head. Uh, God does not evaluate things the way fallen humanity evaluates things. He doesn't evaluate us uh, based on our, our rank, our position, our work status, what other people think of us. 
He, he's beyond that. Um, and, and we should strive to think more like him, to see people as human beings created in the image of God and are precious in, itself, in themselves. So Jesus is taking this idea of position and rank because remember in the first century in, the, in their culture, if you sat at the uh, front of the table, you were important. If you were a priest and not a pauper, you were important. You got the best stuff. You got the best chance of living longer. You got whatever you wanted in life, right? Things haven't changed much today, right? It's about power, prestige, and, and finances, right? And Jesus is saying none of that stuff really matters. Rank doesn't matter. Prestige doesn't matter. Warren Worsby says there's a couple quotes here that I think are really good. To the general public, the rich young ruler stood first and the poor disciples stood last. But God saw things from a perspective of eternity. And the first become last while the last become first. Those who are first in their eyes will be last in God's eyes. But those who are last in their own eyes will be rewarded as first. Complete reversal of how we think about ourselves and others. Tim Keller, another great quote, the heart of the gospel is all about giving up power, pouring out resources, and serving the creator, serving, uh, serving. The center of Christianity is always migrating away from power and wealth. Isn't that the exact opposite of what our culture tells us? How do you, how do you get better in the world? You migrate, you try to get more power, right? You try to get more, and power a lot of times means finances, uh, be, uh, getting resources so that people can serve us, right? I have a maid in my house, right? I have a, a guy I go to who, you know, does this for me, and I just, you know, and I can just pay them whatever I want. Don't worry about that. That's really living, right? And Jesus says, no, really, really living is doing what I did. The Son of Man has no place to lay his head. That was success, right? Was Jesus not successful? He had nothing, and even at the end, they even took his garments and he gave all that away as well. Jesus receives the humble and rejects the proud. We talked about that principle before. He calls us to become nothing so that we can become great. This is the pathway to glory. This is how we end up in glory, by giving up everything. The world says you get glory by gaining everything building up a kingdom unto yourself, and then once you get to a certain level, you've arrived. But we all know once you get to that level, you, you go on, right? Famous quote, I love this quote, Rockefeller. Someone asked him once, how much money is enough? Anybody know what his answer was? Just one more dollar, right? Just one more. You never reach, never reach the pinnacle of success unless you know Jesus. That's the thing. You can be 100% successful in the kingdom of God by following the Lord. This is uh, how 2 Corinthians puts that principle in, in the life of Jesus. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Come and follow me, Jesus says. And that means... Though we are rich, we're willing to give it all up so that through our sacrifice, other people can become great in the eyes of the Lord. Application, real quick, three things. No one, this is the hard teaching. Is the gospel the most precious thing to you? Be honest. 
is the gospel really the most precious thing to you? Because here's a challenge in my life. If it is, everything else, all my priorities, including my family, come under that heading. How do I present the gospel in my culture to the greatest degree that's possible in my life? I do that by aligning everything under that vision, under that mission. If anything falls outside of that gospel heading, then what happens? Resources go to that thing for the sake of that thing. I'm not saying don't take care of your family, but the reason you take care of your family and love your husband, love your wife, love your children, whatever it might be, is so that people see Jesus in you. Not just for the purpose of just loving your family. Right. Right? We have a greater calling than just doing what everybody else does. Because our families, if you're married, right, it's a picture of Christ and the church. It's a greater thing that we're trying to get across with our relationships, right? Greater thing we're trying to get across with our resources, with our homes, our families, our fields, our lands. And we need to ask the question, is the gospel the most precious thing to you? This is why the gospel is most precious. Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. What is more important to align our lives under than the message that saves people for eternity? What, what matters if you live 150 years and your life has been wasted on building up a kingdom onto your own that you will maybe pass on to your children that they will maybe increase and then pass on to their children, and eventually the end will come, and then it will all be burned up anyway. So it doesn't matter if you're passing it on, because just being passed on is the gospel the most precious thing to you. If so, we'll align our lives under it. Number two, um, it won't be precious to you if you strive after recognition. Do you strive after recognition? Or is his recognition all you need? How do you know if you strive after recognition? I'll give you a, this is, this is so cool. This is how you strive, no. Go to your Facebook page or to any social media. Count the number of pictures that you've taken of yourself, right? That's how you know. Look at me, right? And whatever you get people do, right? And you put your pictures on, right? That's how you strive. Or it could be your kids. Look at little Joey. He is much better than little Frankie because, you know, and you, we do the comparison, right? right? We do this all the time on social media. We, we, we try to get a name for ourselves. Is his recognition all you need? What about, look at your, get your checkbook or your bank statement. How much do you spend on clothes to make yourself look Good. Now, I'm not saying walk around like a schlub. I'm not saying that, right? What I'm saying is, if, if, you're, if, if what you give to the gospel is less than what you spend on your personal beauty, and I know people that spend a whole lot on personal beauty, then probably, no, definitely, you have the wrong focus. Because your, your recognition is all about you, right? This could apply to businesses where you spend gobs of money trying to grow your business, and that, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but why, do you ever ask the question, why am I growing my business? Is it, back to number one, is it because the gospel is the most precious thing, and I, my business is an avenue to preach the gospel? I used to after recognition. Number three, and this is the blessing, radical surrender 
means radical reward. Poor surrender means poor reward. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've given your life to him, you will be in heaven. You will. But Paul indicates that some people, well, this isn't Job, that you will get there by the skin of your teeth. Paul says, we'll all be judged. We're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and, and some of our works will be burned up, and we'll basically get into heaven a little bit smelling, a little bit smoky. But we're there, right? But others, our works done in the Lord, will carry on into eternity, right? There is blessing in that. Radical surrender means radical reward. Jesus clearly tells us that a wise investment in surrendering everything for him, there will be a reward that is a hundredfold. I don't know what that looks like. He doesn't describe it because I think it's probably, it's probably you can't describe it. What, what does a hundredfold reward in heaven look like for the sacrifices of human beings? I don't know. But what, he's, what Jesus is promising is if you give it up, then trust me a hundredfold, more than you can imagine, you will be blessed. In this life, by my presence and my power, and a purpose that goes beyond anything you can imagine, and in the next life too. And I can't tell you about that because you, you can't comprehend it. But trust me, it's there. And that's, that's, that's what we're looking for, a radical reward, because Jesus loves us enough. So Jesus is saying to us, I, I want you to imagine your life without money, without the things that you rely on in everyday life. I want you to imagine that all you have is me. Am I really enough? You lose everything, and all you have is just me. Am I enough? Jesus is asking us that question. Last thing I'm going to say. Do we truly believe the person who has Jesus plus nothing actually has everything? Do we really believe that? Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we express that, that we love you. And we also want to confess, God, that, that we don't sacrifice everything. It is so hard because it's hard to see eternity. But you've told us that the, the righteous will live by faith. And so, God, we need you to increase our faith. For many of us, including myself, God, we have weak faith. We, we need to your spirit to, to encourage us and to convince us of the truth of what you say. God, open our eyes to these things. May we take steps this week to make the gospel, the kingdom, the most precious things in our lives. May we be willing to give up everything for you. The disciples eventually get it because Peter says, no one else has the words of life but you. Where else can we go? We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise and prayer. Prayer time? Prayer time? Good morning again. Set time in our service where we could.
just thank God for who he is and what he's done for us. And uh, any other concerns you have. Does anybody have any praises?